And this is uh, one of my stories, and it's called Losing My Religion. When William was seven, he was given his own room right at the back of the house, an attic room with a sloping roof. From his window, he could see the overgrown garden, neglected because everyone was too busy working or watching telly to tend to it. William was serious, with little round glasses and curly white hair. He loved opening his curtains and watching the rain, but he didn't like the creeping shadows of the tree branches floating across the moonlit formica front of his wardrobe, like the ancient gnarly fingers of a skinny, grasping giant. He imagined that he lived in a tree house, and he wondered why grown-ups lived in such boring buildings when they could live in trees, or in boats, or lighthouses. And he dreamed about doing so himself when he grew up. He and his best friend Barney were working on a book together about a vegetarian dinosaur called Thaffy Legthorn Jesse, with William writing and Barney doing the illustrations, although they'd been bickering about storylines, as Barney kept wanting to introduce vampires and zombies, which William said did not exist back then. He thought that they started after the Second World War. <laughs> One late October night, William was lying in bed, wide awake, considering a possible plot twist in his dinosaur novel when he heard a terrible noise, unlike anything he had ever heard before. It was a sound which contained rage, pain and unimaginable power. It was accompanied by thrashing and the sound of a terrible battle. It rose and fell in pitch and volume. It was a sound to rattle teeth and tumble buildings, to drive people to madness and to the jumping off of cliffs. And it scared William, literally rigid. Arms pinned to his sides, tongue bitten to stop himself from screaming. And at last, the blood-curdling sound stopped and the room was totally silent, which in itself was terrifying. His wardrobe door was slightly ajar. Was the terrible screaming creature inside his wardrobe now? Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. William bolted out of bed, ran screaming from the room and into his mum and dad's room, who both woke up screaming, which woke up his little sister who screamed. And that night, the four of them passed an uncomfortable night in one small double bed. <laughs> when William told Barney about it, Barney said that in his opinion, what William had heard was the devil getting ready for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, he sort of sees which place is good to visit and then he comes in to grab your soul into eternal torment and damnation, said Barney, who read a lot of his older brother's pan book of horror collection and was up to volume six, which focused heavily on the devil. <laughs> William said nothing, but that week he played particular attention in RE. And he wrote a story about the Sermon on the Mount in which the devil appeared but got banished by Jesus. He drew a picture in which the devil was small and fat and similar in appearance to their domestic science teacher. And a picture of Jesus who was tall and wore a cape. And so it began. To William's parents' great surprise, he asked to go to church. And he went with Mrs Hibdidge, their next-door neighbour, and he stayed on for Sunday school. His mum and dad would have described themselves as agnostics at a push, but truthfully, they never gave much thought to God at all. They were a little alarmed when he said he wanted to be a vicar. Mrs Hibdidge spoke to William's mum and said, well, let him do it. If he changes his mind, he can always do psychology, which didn't seem to make much sense, but there was no stopping him. He had a calling. 
Nineteen years later, the Reverend William Stenhouse was preparing for his evening at the Hope Centre in Greenwich. As he microwaved his vegetarian lasagna, he stared out of the window at the rain and he considered his life. He'd recently conducted a wedding for a lady who was six feet three and her betrothed who was five feet four. The groom's best man had played Purple Haze on the guitar as they signed the register. The congregation were mostly actors from the nearby drama school, so the singing had been unusually good during the hymns, although there had been some experimental harmonising. <laughs> One of them wore an extremely tight gay pride t-shirt, which the verger later admitted reminded him of boyhood crushes on prefects at school. Another one was dressed in a polar bear outfit. He'd explained that he wasn't being disrespectful, but that he had a gig later and he didn't have time to change. <laughs> a mere six weeks later, the bride had run off with a purple haze guitarist and the groom had got drunk and broken his collarbone after falling down a manhole. He never saw any of them again. It wasn't exactly till death to his part. For the last year, he'd been plagued with doubts about God and about his vocation. He remembered how much he loved to write stories when he was a little boy. Maybe he could have written inspiring books that people could read on the tubes and go on to live happier and more fulfilling lives. His parishioners' problems were so terrible. He really didn't know how to help, and he was plagued with feelings of inadequacy. They lived in crumbling council flats with the damp on the inside, and they had lives like an omnibus of Jeremy Kyle. They said things like... God wants me to suffer so that I can have more compassion for other people. William was pretty pissed off with God now anyway. He moved quickly from being angry with a God he did believe in to allowing himself the thought that maybe there hadn't been anyone there in the first place. Oh, Christ. This lasagna was bloody disgusting. He thought it was hotter than the bloody sun. <laughs> he decided to have some soup at the Hope. It was the 31st of October. It was a beautiful autumn day. Every Monday evening for the last eight months, he'd been helping out at the Hope Homeless Centre. It was warm in there. There was homemade soup and a nurse on hand, a smoking room and a sign saying, Dogs Welcome. He was there to help ladle soup and dispense spiritual advice, a task which he avoided like a biblical plague. As he arrived, he spotted Mad Johnny and he winced. Mad Johnny was a benevolent schizophrenic who sort of belonged to the Peaks council estate. He had bad days and good days. Once, when off his meds and on the whiskey, he was seized by an episode of messianic zeal and declared himself to be Jesus. William hadn't expected the return of Christ to take place in a chip shop called the Codfather on the Old Kent Road as he queued for fish cakes with mushy peas. Mad Johnny got sectioned that day for demanding free fish and for shouting. But tonight, Mad Johnny seemed peaceful, and the evening at the Hope Centre passed without incident. That night, William fell asleep as soon as his head hit the pillow, and he slept in a crucifixion position, although he wasn't aware of that. He dreamt that he was waiting at a bus stop in the dark. The 47 came, and he needed to get on it, but it didn't stop. As it passed by him, he noticed there was no one on it apart from Mad Johnny, he was deep in conversation with someone he couldn't quite make out. He heard Johnny's companion laugh, a deep, fruity, actuary sort of laugh. <laughs> like that. 
The laugh turned into a bellow, and now William was small and in the garden outside his mum and dad's house, and the bellow was a few metres in front of him, and it turned into a blood-curling growl and then a roar, a mixture of pain and rage and madness, until he covered his ears. It was coming closer and closer and closer and closer. William woke, bolt upright in bed. The sheets were damp and tangled. He felt like Houdini trying to get up to pee. And then he heard it again. <laughs> For fuck's sake, he said out loud, cross that he'd been a little bit scared. He flung open the curtains and saw two cats shagging on his shed roof. They finished and they bolted off. William didn't go back to sleep. He sat in the kitchen, staring blankly for ages. Then he put a coat over his pyjamas and he went outside. He noticed his geraniums were dead in the window boxes. He walked past a skip with a load of rumble and a broken pram in it. He saw the amorous cats chase each other across the road. And he found all of these things depressing. He felt horribly lonely. William sat on the damp and pigeon droppings of the bench on the edge of the football field in Deptford Park. In his pocket, he had a hip flask that his verger had given him for his last birthday. He hadn't known how to fill it properly, so it spilled over and his hands stunk of whiskey. He idly wondered if there were any murderers in here who'd put an end to his troubles. Hello, Rev. Christ! shouted William. Sorry, Rev, I, I was watching. I, I thought you could do with a bit of company, like. It was Mad Johnny. William greeted him with a non-committal sort of grunt. Hmm. They sat in uncomfortable silence for a long time. William got out his hip flask and passed it to Johnny, who drank most of it and handed it back. Are you, are you, uh, are you all right, Rev? Because you, you seem a bit quiet. Sort of, quite quiet. There was a big pause. People didn't usually confide in Johnny, not normal people anyway. Only dogs and people on the television told him stuff, and he knew now that that was in his head. But William needed to talk, so he told Johnny about the wardrobe and the horrible sound and Sunday school and theological college and talking to God and to his parishioners and dwindling numbers and increasing social issues, and that he'd realised tonight that his journey to God had begun with a mistaken interpretation of fornicating felines. So, basically, I don't believe in God anymore. Mm. What, like, because of the cats? <laughs> said Mad Johnny. No, not because of them, but they were the last straw. Big pause. Mad Johnny sighed. Rev, there are some things I believe in I shouldn't, like the radio messages and dog codes I get. Some days it's nice to believe in God, some days I don't bother or I just forget about him. But in my mind, he is very, very kind. He looks like Morgan Freeman, but he sounds like Brian Blessed. <laughs> he says, Johnny darling, I'm looking out for you. Sometimes he comes to earth to move in mysterious ways. But sometimes he does something just normal, like getting a bus. And when he sees someone get up off their seat for an old lady, he thinks that's really nice. The bad stuff is too much for me to cope with now because he's getting on a bit. Sometimes he just cannot be bothered to be God, point blank, then he's just a normal guy. It sort of ebbs and flows with him. It's like that. 
William felt his eyes filling with tears. Come with me, Rev, come on. I'll show you what I do when I'm down. William and Mad Johnny walked further into the dark park. From a distance, the swish of traffic sounded like the sea. They lay on their backs and gazed up at the sky. It was a clear night. Johnny had some tiny binoculars which they shared, and they saw the plough, Ursula Minor, the distant smudge of another galaxy. Johnny explained he read old copies of New Scientist at the Hope Centre, and he was learning about space. They thought they saw a shooting star, and they made a wish, just in case. It's beautiful. Look. It's fucking wonderful, said Mad Johnny. And William agreed, smiling in the dark. Look, listen, Rev, I don't think that there's anything to worry about with that god. I, I shouldn't think if he's there, he's, he's that bothered what we think of him. Honestly. Later, they walked back towards the main road, where Johnny got the 47 towards Lewisham. William watched him clamber up the stairs and take a seat next to an old man sitting alone on the top deck, who could have passed for Morgan Freeman. As the bus pulled away, William waved, but the old man and Johnny were oblivious. They were deep in conversation. As William climbed into bed, he made a mental shopping list. Cat food, whiskey, new scientist. And then he fell asleep. Thank you.